Blog Talk Radio. Don Henderson, Don Jersey Shore, and Mr. Frank Carroll, spinning the dolls. 
Craig, we're making dedication yeah, to this week's And Roy coming yeah, we sick, Roy. can't forget you. Okay. Yeah, and don't forget Roy. Roy. Easily forgotten, guys. Easily forgotten. <laughs> never. 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 <laughs> Go ahead, well, Frank. Frank. I didn't have anything, any dedication tonight. Oh, nothing tonight? Okay. Well, let's welcome Roy in because this is a this is a big week for the Buccaneers. This is a game they absolutely, Roy, cannot lose. No, you're right. Uh, the playoff picture is uh, is becoming rather clear uh, right now. They're uh, they're out near the frame in that picture and uh, kind of poking their head in, uh, and uh, if they want to stay there or, or get uh, closer to the middle of that picture. They they have got to win uh, not just this week, but they they. I don't know that they need to win out, but they got to come pretty close. Look, they're not going to win their division. It's un- well, it's unlikely they're going to win their division, um, but uh, they can still get into the wild card. It's going to be a tough road for them right now. It's about playoff positioning, I think, for them. You know, who can you you know can you avoid having to go on? Well, they're going to go on the road anyway, I'm pretty sure. But can you avoid having to go to Seattle? You know, can you somehow get a team like maybe the Giants that you go up against, which is not an easy opponent, but. I think I'd rather go against them than uh, than Seattle, even though right now the Giants might be playing better than Seattle. I still think Seattle's a better team. But either way, I mean, yeah, it's a big game, and uh, the Bucks have to, you know, internally they they just kind of they kind of got to figure things out. You know, um, obviously the Tom Brady uh, experiment is not quite not going quite the way they hoped it would. Uh, I, I think anybody who thought it was going to be an absolutely smooth transition and uh, smooth ride uh, was just, you know, kind of dreaming a little bit. Um, but it has been a little bit bumpier uh, than than we thought. And, and and the reasons are basically for the reasons that we we were concerned. That Tom Brady's been hit more than all but three quarterbacks in the NFL this year. Uh, I'm sorry, all but two. Uh, the 44 hits he's taken are uh, right there at the top of the league, uh, second or third most in the league. Uh, at this point, um, there was an update last night off in last night's game, but I'm not, I haven't factored that in yet. So they're in the top three and hits allowed for their quarterback. Um, they're not using their running game enough. Uh, the defense has uh, looked ordinary at times, especially against the pass. Um, they got a lot of things they got to work out. Coming off a of bye week, um, obviously that gives you a big advantage. They got to take advantage of that and make uh, make the most of it against a team that, uh, you know, they, they can end up seeing again. Well, you made a good point there. You talk about the number of hits he's taken, and uh, when you think about that, you have to think about the Philadelphia Eagles because <laughs> they automatically decided this week they had to make a change. They couldn't do anything else. And uh, right now, their quarterback leads the National Football League in being sacked <laughs> and being taken down. You know, you're, Don, you're absolutely right. I was shocked, and, and, and I'm not shocked from the standpoint that they've allowed – you know, 50-some sacks this year. But I was shocked when I heard that the Eagles had allowed 50 sacks going into the game last week. That, that's right. just incredible. That's a number that you would expect to see maybe at the end of the year for a real bad football team. Now, look, the Eagles are a very bad football team, but I don't think anybody thought they were going to be this bad this year and be that, um, you know, just incompetent against pass rushers. Uh, that's just incredible. And look, we know that Carson Wentz is not the kind of guy, you know, some quarterbacks get hit because they move around a lot outside the pocket. Carson Wentz isn't that guy. Um, You know, so, you know, for them to have given up 
this many quarterback sacks uh, and God knows how many hits, you know, 80, 80 plus or more. It's just unconscionable. It really is. And um, I think it speaks to the fact that the problem in, in Philadelphia is not at the quarterback position. Uh, I don't think Carson Wentz has played at his best this year, but he's barely, barely had a chance to even try to play at his best because he's got no time to find receivers. He's got no time to set up and, 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 and scan the field and, and do what quarterbacks need to do, step into throws properly, that kind of thing. So, um, and, you know, I think you had to make a, a choice or a change. Uh, you know, I'm kind of on the fence about it. Uh, you know, I, I think you had to go to Jalen Hurts just to see what he could do for you. Um, maybe his mobility gives you a little bit, uh, a little bit of a spark. It, it seemed to a, at times, but it, it wasn't a great spark. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, was he any more effective than Carson Wentz? Not really. So uh, they got some real problems there, some real problems. Roger, you just left Philadelphia. You were right there for uh, all the action and the uh, the coaches' meetings and the press conferences and all the. He was very, very uh, subjective on Monday, talking about what he was going to do, what he wasn't going to do, and then of course came out yesterday and said, uh, in fact, that he was going to make the change. And uh, your observations, because you're right there or were right there before you just moved down to Atlanta. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, Don, and uh, Roy, Tommy, and Frank, there's a lot of speculation. And and if you uh, listen to some of the uh, uh, experts, and I do mean, you know, I really respect Pat Kerwin a lot on uh, serious NFL radio. Uh, But today, you might find this interesting. Brian Westbrook uh, was on the air, and uh, his uh, thinking is that they are uh, showcasing uh, Hurts uh, to trade him, to get something for him. And it may be that there's a new coach uh, on the Eagles next year uh, that can relate to Carson Wentz like Frank Rich did. Frank Rich uh, right did. And, and also um, uh, DiFilippo. And I think that's where the problem – first of all, Roy, you're exactly right. The offensive line is a joke, a disgrace. And to, to bring Jason Peters back at, what, 38 years old, where he's been injured over and over recently uh, in, in recent years, is, is sheer stupidity. And, and uh, I think Howie Roseman's got to go. His drafting's been bad. I mean, they just it, – it's, it's so many different things uh, since they won the Super Bowl uh, that ha- the whole franchise has deteriorated. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping that Carson Wentz, uh, Wentz get, gets his head together and, and can come back because I think he is a very good quarterback, but I don't think that the Eagles have even come close to surrounding him with talent that's needed to show uh, how good he is. Well, Roger, I also think, and uh, Roy could certainly jump in on this as well as Tommy, the thing that I'm more surprised about than anything else because of the fact he's been hit so many times, sacked so many times, thrown so many interceptions, that they haven't moved the pocket. They haven't moved them right, left. They, had, they haven't no. tried to protect the offensive line a little bit by getting them out of there. And they didn't and, do any of that. Su- no, you're right, Don. And he was successful doing that uh, when, uh, before he got injured in the uh, Super Bowl season. Roger, I think you just hit on hit on the point there that, that why that hasn't happened is he was very good at doing that before he got injured. Uh, 
Um, yeah. I think there's a fear that he just doesn't have that mobility or that ability to, to get out. You know, you've got to do that pretty quickly. If you're going to move the pocket, and I agree, that, that's a great way for a, a good mobile quarterback to, 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 to avoid trouble, uh, move that pocket and stuff. But you've got to get out there in a hurry and still set up and throw. And it may just be that, for whatever reason, they don't see Carson Wentz as having that ability anymore that he's just going to have to stick to stay in the pocket. But it puts a lot of pressure on that line. And, and I agree with you, you know, you've got to revamp but Roy, that line. Roy, they did it right away. When Hurt came in last Sunday at the end of the third quarter, big in the fourth quarter, they moved the pocket right away. Well, yeah, I, it doesn't make but you can't do it with Wentz is what I'm saying. Right. And, and, and yeah. it's unfortunate. And the line can't hold up. And that's why Wentz is getting hit so much. And yeah, you can do it. You can obviously do it much more with uh, uh, with Hertz, and, and because he's young and he's mobile, and that's one of his uh, his strengths. It's a weapon for him. It's his mobility. Um, that's why the the idea of uh, and I'm not disputing what you're saying at all, Roger. But um, you know, the idea of of showcasing Hertz to, to trade him. I, look, you've got to wait until you know exactly who your co- coach is going to be. Uh, look, I, it, to me, it's a 50-50 bet at best right now uh, whether they change coaches. And if they do, you could bring someone in who really likes the mobile quarterback and wants to go that route. Look, let's face it, everybody's doing it. Uh, you want yeah. guys who can get out there and move. And you had that you know, back in the day uh, in Philadelphia. So uh, with Donovan McNabb, you've had it before. So uh, And you had it with Wentz when he was young but uh, or, or, right. or, you know, fully healthy. So uh, to me, it doesn't make sense to, to, to just showcase a guy to trade him. I, I don't think you spend that kind of a, a draft pick uh, for a player like that, that caliber, and then say, go, go ahead and move him on to another team. Um, unless you, you know, you can get, unless, unless you are planning an absolute rebuild um, and the one piece you want to build around uh, is your quarterback. And, and look, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I wouldn't have a problem with that. But the, the, the thing is, uh, they've got a lot of pieces they've got to fill uh, or find. And, and maybe the best way to do it is to move a quarterback like Hurts. Uh, that would make some sense. But, again, I, I wouldn't do that until I have a new coach in place and a new management uh, group and uh, decide, you know, what exactly do we want to do here. Roy, well, you don't have that option, though, in Tampa. The, the Buccaneers don't have that option of moving the quarterback because he's not a movable quarterback. And, Boy, oh, boy, he's taken an awful beating in the first, uh, what, two-thirds of the season. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, look, you know talking to, to GMs around the league over the course of the years, uh, you know, one of the things that – and I'm sure it's being talked about in Philadelphia. It's being talked about here in Tampa a little bit, uh, but not much, is, you know, one of, one of the difficulties NFL teams have these days, developing offensive linemen who come from programs, and most of them are like this now, come from programs who play – you know, these run-pass uh, option, uh, you know, offensive schemes. When you play that, there's not a lot of opportunities or situations, I should say, where your left tackle, right tackle, whatever it may be, even your left guard and right guard, uh, really have to stand in there for, you know, two, three, two, two plus seconds, two and a half seconds, three seconds, and hold the lineman out. Because you are moving that pocket. You're, ru- you're running these run-pass options. And, and, and you're freezing linebackers and safeties and things, and you don't have to worry about the pass rush as much. Um, you negate it. But the NFL, you know, even though it's going more and more to that uh, with, with, with players, uh, and it's, it's fairly successful until, of course, the, the quarterback gets hurt, uh, 
Um, you know, the problem is it just takes a long time for teams to develop offensive linemen to the point where they can truly be uh, that mobile anchor against the pass rush that you need. You know, Donovan Smith in Tampa, I think, is a perfect example. The Bucks knew when they drafted him that because he came out of a kind of a run-pass option type offensive scheme that he would need some time to develop uh, as a pass, rush, a pass protector. And uh, the issue is he hasn't quite gotten there. You, build, you, you draft players like that based on their uh, measurable. You know, does he have the foot speed? Does he have the, the agility? Does he have the size? You know, does he have the length? Um, you, you know, his arm, you know, his punch, that kind of thing. Can he, does he have the build to be that elite pass protector? If he does, you take him and you hope that you can, you know, that you can develop him quickly. Uh, Donovan Smith is an example, and there's plenty more out there around the league, of guys who have been drafted for that, and they haven't quite developed to the point you want them to, and your team's hurting as a result of it. So the Bucks are suffering as a result of, you know, what other teams are struggling with as well, is this bringing in these offensive linemen who don't necessarily show in college they can be tremendous pass protectors. And then if you're trying to put those guys in front of a quarterback who can't move, who's going to be a pocket passer like Tom Brady, you're asking for trouble because what, what happens is we've seen here is Tom Brady ends up being the third most hit quarterback in the NFL. And he's thrown more interceptions this year than he has in, uh, in a decade. So that's where you're at. Hey, and uh, Don, yeah, a couple things. Number one, uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, Brian Westbrook was the one that made that statement about Hertz. And uh, because, you know, I would think that he probably uh, is, you know, pretty good friends with some of the players, uh, even though, you know, his career was a number of years ago. That's number one. Number two is if the Eagles were to trade Wentz, they take a hit of $30 million on the cap next year. And that's a big hit, as you know. And uh, But I was thinking, that I think the per- if they were to do that, the perfect place would be Indianapolis. Because you got Philip Rivers there, and you got Frank Rich right there, and uh, you know they, who knows? I mean, you know, could resurrect him, but I don't see him being traded because they are in the worst shape I understand in the entire league on the cap situation, and uh, to take a well, third. Right, they, they just signed an extention. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, just signed an extension. You're right, now, the thirty-some thousand come off the cap, but how about the rest of the contract? Well, but but that's my point, Don. If they were to trade him and the other team picks it up, they are still going to take a $30 million, uh hit on the cap next year. And they're in the cap situation. They're one of the, if not the worst team in the league. I just right, read that today. Right. Yeah, but I just meant if you're going to take Wentz, who's going to pick up that kind of contract? I mean, I did, you know, well, it doesn't make sense to me. It, well, it's, Don, it's, Roger, go I ahead, point you make, Roger, about the money, because I think you're absolutely right. That's why, you know, some people would look at the situation and say, okay, if everything was even, well, Wentz is the guy you might move instead of Hurts. But right. with that contract, you can't move Hurt, uh, Wentz. Right. Uh, nobody wants him. You can't take the $30 million hit on the cap, because you got to start factoring this in, guys. Teams have not made uh, much money at all. Some have made some, but – Basically, teams are making are making nothing out of uh, concessions, uh, ticket sales, uh, parking, all those right. things that have hurt. Uh, obviously, the NHL, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, and the NBA to a degree uh, are going to be in a, a matter that's going to affect the NFL. 
to how, how to what degree we don't know, but it is going to be an issue. Uh, you can't go through an entire season with your uh, stadiums mostly dark uh, in terms of fan uh, fans, or, or or have ten thousand fans in a stadium where you usually have fifty five or sixty thousand, uh, and and not expect to take a financial hit because there's just you know there's four revenue streams you're not getting there. So um, that's going to be an issue, and and I think you're going to see a lot of teams. I mean, we've yet to really get into the finances of it. Start to see that after the first of the year when teams start to you know, figure things out. We get closer to the draft, but yeah, that's a factor is the fact that you can't move this guy because you can't take the $30 million hit. Um, right. Exactly. Don't, I don't know that exactly. you ever could anyway, but this is the year when you absolutely cannot. Well, they made right. a mistake exactly. from day one. I mean, first of all, yeah, to sign him to that contract, uh, you know, uh, you know he, had, he had a great, he had a great 12, he had a great 12 games the first year. And also remember this, how fast can you go from a Super Bowl team to the worst team in the NFC East, if not close to the worst team in the NFC East, in three years? That goes to the general manager, Don. But, guys, you know what? At the end of the day, again, take a look at the, at the landscape right now for quarterbacks and their contracts. First of all, I'm not convinced that Carson Wentz is, is done, that he's no good, that he can't get back to no. what he used to be. I'm not convinced of that at all. He needs more. Well, I agree. We've already established here. He needs a lot more talent around him. But at $30 million, and this is going to sound outrageous, he may not be that expensive. Because you're, you're still talking about, look, they're still talking now in Dallas about signing uh, Dak Prescott to a $40-plus million contract. Because right. that's the going rate for quarterbacks right now. And he's the best they've got. Now, they would probably love to take on a guy like Hertz for next to nothing and, uh, and give them some leverage. But if you don't have leverage, and how much leverage are you going to have coming out of the draft uh, this year? Because you don't know what these quarterbacks look like. I mean, there's going to be a couple that you're, everybody's going to be hot for, as always. But if you're Dallas and you're really not in that mix, um, what are you going to do? So, you know, you, you're going to see quarterbacks. $40 million is going to be the, the, the number uh, the baseline for the top level guys, and and I don't think Wentz is in that category right now, clearly. But um, I don't know that he won't be again. But at thirty million dollars, believe it or not, a year from now, next year at this time, you might be thinking, "Hey, this is one of the best bargains in the league. This guy's ten well, million dollars less than everybody else, and he and he's having a great season." You never know. Well, look at the Falcons, Roy. You know, and, and Matt Ryan's contract's a big contract. And that was several years ago that he signed yeah. that, you know, and, and they have, they haven't had a good season uh, either. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you're right. you you hit the nail on the head. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's very rare in running the league the league. right now. In fact, I, I know of only one quarterback who's done this and I might be wrong. I, I might, I might've missed one somewhere. Russell Wilson might be on this list at some point. Maybe he's on it already, but Tom Brady's the only guy who's taken less money so that the team around him could do what it has to do. Tom Brady has probably lost $30 million over the course of the last five, six years by taking less money. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, he's paying for $25, 28000000 million for the Bucks this year. And uh, talk about bargains. E- even though it hasn't been his best season, uh, that's a bargain. Because when quarterbacks are making $40 million, uh, that's a bargain. When you're paying, you're getting about, you know, $15 million less 
Uh, you're getting a bargain there, guys. And he's held up being hit so he so much. Yeah, great point. He, well, he knows how to protect himself. You got you got to you watch the games. He knows how to protect himself, and I think that's right. always been the case, even when he was with the Patriots. You know, yeah, he get hit not nearly what he's getting hit now, but he knows how to how what to do. He's not going to let some guy come in and cold cock him and uh, and and stand there. You know, he he knows what to do so he can protect himself. Hey guys, you know what? I think you got to give Carson Wentz uh, credit for for holding up as well. As much as he got hit, if you, if you had told me that he had he would be hit fifty, he'd be sacked fifty times uh, at this point in the season before the season started, I'd say yeah. And guess what? He's in the hospital somewhere with a cast. Yeah, right. Something. And and yeah. you know, so I, I I I think to me that he has answered one thing that I always had a concern with or have had a concern with with him since the beginning of his career is that I've always wondered, I mean, he, he just seems like he's, you know, just one, every quarterback is, but, I mean, he just seems a little bit more vulnerable to injury than a lot of other guys. The fact that he's held up through this, uh, you know, barrage, this siege of pass rushers throughout the course of the season, I think is really, uh, I, I think it's a plus on his side for sure. I agree. Well, Charles, what do you think about Don Shule up in heaven? He's looking down right now and say, well, my Dolphins are still the only team. <laughs> How about what do you that? think about yeah. How about that, huh? Yeah, we saw Larry Zonka, uh, you know, firing up the stogie the other day and having a and kicking back with a bottle of wine or whatever in celebration. Uh, uh, that team uh, gets to, to to live with that one more year for sure. And uh, it's you know it's one of those records. It'll be broken at some point, I think. <laughs> but uh, you know, when you talk about the records in sports, it'll never be broken. I don't know. It's getting harder and harder to 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 do that. Uh, because again, there's such parity in the league. At some point, everybody's going to mess it up. At some point, and uh, uh, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe they'll live in infamy. That group. They already are for sure. I'm well, saying, Roger Bilkersadis is on the line waiting, and we'll get to him in a second. But I'll let you finish up with Roy before we go yeah, to him. I I just wanted to say, you know, it just shows uh, about uh, what Ron Rivera has done with uh, the Washington Football Team, Roy. And, uh, I, you know, he, he's really turning them around. And I think they're going to be reckoned with uh, because Dan Snyder's letting them alone, leaving him alone. Yeah, is anyone surprised? First of all, I'm not. I always thought it was a big mistake. And I know you guys love Rule, and, and I like him too. But, uh, is any, look, I thought it was a mistake to let Ron Rivera go in Carolina. Uh, I knew that wherever yeah. he went, he would turn the program around because he was going to go to a team that needed help. Uh, the fact that he went to Washington bothered me a little bit because uh, uh, I just can't stand anybody working for Dan, uh, Dan Snyder. Right. But Dan finally took his fingers off the uh, off the uh, off the off the scale, and uh, look what happened. So this is a team to watch out for, guys. You know, I don't know that it's going to happen next year, but uh, uh, pretty soon you're going to see Washington uh, right there in the mix, and they're they're going to be a pretty good football team because they got one of the best coaches in the NFL. Look. Um, I tell you, Roy, Roy, all of a sudden, Judge, I mean, the two of them, Washington and and, uh, the Giants have all of a sudden turned things around after disastrous starts. And uh, now the the two of them are going to fight it out for the NFC East to to see who's going to go to the playoffs. Yeah, we'll see about Joe Judge. Uh, I I don't know that he fits this category, but I've always said there are certain guys who are professional head coaches. They belong in the position. They're not – a, co- a glorified coordinator who just happened to come off a great season and everybody thinks he, it's his turn to get a shot. They are professional head coaches, and Ron Rivera is one of them. If you're lucky enough to have one of those guys, 
as your head coach. Uh, guys like Mike Tomlin, John Gruden to a degree, but certainly, uh, you, you know, uh, Ron Rivera is there. Andy Reid. He is a professional. Head, absolutely, Andy Reid. Oh, boy. Carroll, he's he's they the top are of the professional field. head coaches. They know how to do it, and uh, they're fortunate in Washington to have him. And uh, for fans in the other cities in the NFC East, uh, it's going to be tough for you going forward because this guy's got it all, man. He knows how to do it. You look at Bill Belichick right. first, and then you go right for Bill Belichick and draw a straight line across the Reed because uh, uh, Reed's yeah. done it now with two organizations and done exactly the same thing. So I, I couldn't agree with you more, Roy. But thank you very much, as always. Uh, we'll get Have back with you week, again Roy. next Wednesday. Have a great week, and let's see what the, the Buccaneers can do this weekend because they desperately need a win. It'll be fun watching it. All right, guys, have a great week. We'll talk again next Wednesday. Take care. You too, Roy. Take care. All right, thank you. Bill Cassetti is on the line right now, and uh, for those folks that are listening outside of uh, uh, all around, we here at at the the helm uh, talk about Richie Allen and Dick Allen for years and years and years, and uh, just an unfortunate thing. Cancer got him, and he passed away this week, and Roger and I talked about it, and uh, Roger, uh, I'll let you introduce Bill because you were there and, and he sent us some uh, Richie Allen cards. He, he gave us a lot of information. And uh, so I'll let you kick in first. Well, Bill, it's a pleasure to have you back. Uh, you know, we're, we, I remember we uh, had you on several months ago and a uh, lot's happened, I think, since the last time you were on. But uh, I was so sad. Uh, I got the note from Dan Baker uh, they on a text that, uh, you know, Dick had passed away. And I know that uh, he had been on the uh, show with uh, Dan and, and Greg Luzinski, uh I think, several times. But I know, you know, uh, in the last uh, last season, I guess. But, and, and I know you've written the books and, and everything, and you're very close to him. What a sad day it was the other day with his passing, Bill. Yeah, it's been a rough couple of days, and, what is the saddest is the irony that he passed um, in during the week that had the Hall of Fame decided to vote, the Veterans Committee decided to vote, undoubtedly he would have gotten in um, this week and uh, he passed away. But, of course, the uh, Hall's Board of Directors decided to postpone that vote till next year. So, unfortunately, Dick... Um, Will not be alive to see it. Yeah, yeah. we talked well, a lot about that. In fact, we had Bill White on with us uh, uh, a few months ago, and and he was the one that first said, you know, it, it, time's running out on Dick Allen, and uh, do the best you can with the shows that you do to try to reemphasize the importance of getting him into the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, he had a he had one major objector, and uh, that hurt him a lot. But uh, you're you're exactly right now. We have to wait till next year. And I mean, Dick Allen should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Amen. Yeah, un- unquestionably. I mean, the the stats are pretty well known at this point, and particularly the you know the adjusted OPS plus, which is 156 20th all time. Um, you know, in addition to his 351 career home runs, the 292 batting average, the 1,119 RBIs, you know, those are Hall of Fame numbers. Um, and, you know, the people that you most listen to, I think, are people who are already in the Hall of Fame. And these are people right. who, who did right. mentored Mike Schmidt with Philadelphia, 
uh, Ferguson Jenkins at the beginning of his career with Philadelphia, Goose Gossage with the Chicago White Sox, uh, and and even his contemporaries, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, they've all said it. You know, he's a Hall of Famer. But the, the, the tragedy of his career is that he was a vocal African-American man at a time when the white baseball establishment did not take kindly to people speaking their mind. And there are a lot of other players, black and white, that followed him that did the same thing, and they're in the Hall of Fame. But Dick was ahead of his time, unfortunately, in speaking truth to power, and it hurt him. Hey, Bill, uh, when was, yeah, when was the last time that uh, you saw uh, and or uh, spoke with Dick? Uh, the last week of October. Uh, we've been trying to get together fall. I, I, could, not, uh, I could not make the September 3rd um, retirement um, ceremony when the Phillies retired as number 15. Uh, and, you know, I, I knew that he wasn't doing well. I wanted to see him. Um, and I kept calling uh, Willa, his wife, and just begging her, you know, to just let me have 20 minutes with him. And every time we set something up, he ended up in the hospital. Um, but finally, the last week of October, uh, I drove out there to Wampum and, and, you know, spent a couple hours with him. And I'm very glad uh, – that I did because I got to say some things that I'd never said to him before, got a chance to tell him, tell him that I loved him, what he meant to me, what he meant to me growing up and what he meant to me as a, as a writer. And, um, you know, and Dick, you really have to know him as, as a person. He just makes things so easy. And a discussion like that, you know, under the circumstances uh, would have been extremely difficult. And yet, it was it was a happy discussion. He's a funny guy, uh, as usual. He told you know some real funny stories, and um, I, you know I left feeling really great. Um, but you know that's that's him, and it's a side of him people just don't know. Well, I'll tell you, Bill. I uh, first brought my son into the locker room at Connie Mack Stadium, uh, and and. Uh, uh, introduced him to, to Dick Allen, and this was in the early days. He was uh, just playing little league or a little after that uh, at the time, and he wore 15 all through his uh, his high school and at the University of North Carolina. Uh, he always wore 15 uh, because of Dick Allen, and uh, he had a great admiration. I called him. Uh, Roger called me and, and let me know the other night that Dan had called. I called my son right away and. And he said, uh, you know, it was unbelievable. He couldn't, couldn't believe that he didn't realize he was that sick. And uh, I didn't either, to be honest with you. But one other thing that you might point out, uh, you talk about his numbers. And, uh, you know, County Max Stadium wasn't an impossible place to hit home runs. But if you go out to Kaminsky Park in Chicago and you go to Bush Stadium where he went after that, those are not home run hitting ballparks. That's right. And, and interestingly, although he was in the top 10 uh, leaders in home runs several years, his first six years in Philadelphia, he led the American League in homers two of the three years that he played for the White Sox. And one of those years was 74 when he, due to injury, could not play the last 15 games of the season. 
And if you ever saw this man hit, which I did um, at two different points with the Phillies, uh, one is, is a youngster. I was in elementary school his first time through and then in high school the, the, the second time. Uh, and, and he wasn't the power hitter. He, he had uh, ruptured an Achilles tendon so he couldn't push off, uh, you know, that, that back foot uh, that he really, you know, that he, he didn't have the same power. And not many people knew that, that he, he came back to Philly. One of the reasons he decided to retire is because he ruptured that Achilles. But, um, man, when I was a kid, just, he was a god. I mean, he <laughs> just he just he owned Connie Mack Stadium. I mean, home run balls off the Philco sign, off the clock, just out of the park. Just, just amazing. Just absolutely. Well, you know, Billy just missed one, and nobody was, has ever hit one out of Con- or never had it. I know more Connie Mack Stadium for those people that are listening. This is the original back in Philadelphia. But just to the right of the end of the upper deck at center field, nobody ever hit one out of the, out of the Connie Mack Stadium uh, in, in that area. That's 447. And Dick, right in that now. area, right. And right. Dick yeah, just missed it. I mean, he, he just missed it. It's like talking about Mickey Mantle hitting one off the light tower at Yankee Stadium and it didn't go out. He would have been the first one to do it there. But Dick would have been the first one to ever hit one out in that area of the ballpark, and it just missed yeah, you got you know you you, you really you, you got to laugh when you hear today uh, about the the power hitters today because the parks you know are so small. I mean they they really are so right. small, and right. you know compared to Allen's time and they the, the announcers rave and roar about a 350 foot home run. Uh, you know Allen routinely hit home runs. Of, of that nature. I mean, it, it, it's just, it, it, it's hard to believe. It's really hard well, to what, believe. Well, what, what's in center field at, at Connie Mack Stadium was 447, wasn't it? Uh, I think it, it was. Dead center. I, I, yeah, I think it was four, 447, 448. And how many uh, home runs did he hit that were 450 feet plus? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, pro- probably – Eight to ten in that park, so right, right. It's it just and and it you know and here's the the thing when you talk to Dick about it, who really didn't like to talk too much about his his statistical achievements. That's the kind of guy he was, but he he used to tell me that he took much greater pleasure in hitting a hard ground ball or line drive right at the shortstop and knocking them over, which he did, <laughs> which, which he did. And there's a real funny story um, that he, he, he told me, um, which I can't repeat the exact vocabulary uh, on, mm-hmm. on air here, but uh, the, the White Sox were playing the, the Detroit Tigers, um, you know, in Comiskey Park. And um, Mickey Lolich was on the mound. And if you've seen a Dick Allen home run, it starts off as a line drive, and it just does not stop going up and up and up and up. It, it's really deceptive. It was really deceptive. And he hit a shot right back in the box. It went right by Lolich's ear. Didn't hit him, okay, and just kept on going up and up and up and up and out of the you know, out, out of the ballpark. 
and or you know over the wall. And Briggs was you know, it Briggs Stadium or? No, no, no. It was it was Comiskey. And oh, okay, Comiskey. Uh, he 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 he's rounding the bases, and Molich uh, is still kneeling on the mound. And I guess Billy Martin was the manager. He calls Tommy runs out there, and he says, "Mickey, what's wrong? Did he hit you? Did he hit you?" He said, "No." And Martin says, "Why don't you get up?" And he said, "Because I was, you know, afraid that that damn ball was going to ricochet off the wall and come back and hit me in the back of the head and kill me." <laughs> and, and the other, and the other thing that people don't know about Dick, I mean, people talk about Pete Rose and Pete Rose being able to, you know, hit, you know, to all fields, and even in when when he played for the Phillies, you know, in pregame, he'd actually try to you know, spread the ball all around the field, just place it. You know, when that was, wait a minute, that was, that was, he didn't just try. That was his normal procedure. When he first got in there, he hit X number of balls to right field, X number of balls to center field, X number of balls to left field. And that was his normal pattern. But Allen could do that too when he wanted to. And there's a great story. Yeah, I'm talking about Allen. I'm talking about Richie Allen. Right. Uh, I thought you were talking about Rose. Well, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Dick Allen. I'm talking about Dick Allen. The other thing he did was a lot of times he would hit left-handed. I don't know whether uh, – yep. yep. You know, he he yep. could hit the ball as well left-handed. You wouldn't believe how well he could hit the ball left-handed. Now, he never did it in a game that I know of. But, I mean, he'd take batting practice sometimes, hit left-handed. Yep. Uh, this this one story, though, is, is amazing because uh, he arrived in Chicago in 1972 – I guess Bill Melton had been the home run leader the previous year, and he had a herniated disc, uh, so he was out at the beginning of that season. And he comes back, um, and and he tries to play, and he, he's just not cutting it. And Harry Carey, who later became the famous uh, broadcaster for the Chicago Cubs, was with the White Sox at that period of time. And he used to sit out in, in, in the bleachers, out in uh, – I guess it was right center, and he would broadcast the game from there, out there with a beer and a big fishing net to catch any home runs that were going his way. Well, <laughs> he was very critical of Bill Melton, and Bill was a very good friend of Dick's, and you just did not do that to a friend of Dick Allen's. So he comes up to the plate, and he nails a ball. And just like I'm saying, mm-hmm. it, very deceptive. It keeps it's a line drive keeps on going up and up and up and I'll be damned it's going right into right center field and Carrie sees it at the last minute he throws the net one way throws the beer the other and he just jumps for, you know gets out of there for his life and Allen said that he never laughed so hard when he got back into the dugout uh, you know but that was Dick I mean that was Dick and you you know you talk to Gossage he'll tell you stories that are unbelievable that he you know, he he'd say uh, he'd say it was like uh, eighth inning or something like that. Late in the game, they're down by a run. Dick would come up, he'd hit a home run, put the socks ahead. He'd come in, ask Tanner to take him out, and he'd say, "Okay, boys, bring her home." <laughs> that was it. That was it. But this is a guy who could, you know, frankly, hit at will. You know, where he wanted to. Uh, and and yeah, I'll tell you, it was. Uh... Go ahead. Well, unfortunately, 
you know, the other thing that um, the baseball writers said back in the in the 80s when they refused to give him any more than 18.9% of the vote was that he never achieved his potential, you know, and, and they held that against him, you know, because if he supposedly achieved his potential, he would have hit 600 home runs. He would have had 3,000 RBIs. It's like, you know, guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, give who, the man they to ma- who are they to, to talk about what the potential? Potential can be a lot of things, but yeah, that's but you got to look at the hard numbers. That's the thing, and and that's a Hall of Famer. You're you're absolutely right. We had a uh, sports writer in this city by the name of Alan Lewis, and Alan Lewis is a gentleman, and yeah. uh, he not like particularly back then the, the Philadelphia Daily News writers who baited Alan all the time. Uh, but Alan Lewis, you know, he he had a personal philosophy, and he said. I believe that unless you played baseball at the college level, you have no right if you're a writer to criticize any ball player because that's when you understand just how hard it is to play that game. And, and you know, I, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. I agree too, you know? yeah. Um, well, Bill, things were well, so know, different in those days, though, because, you know, what really turned around – the press box was Bill Conlon. Bill was the one that really, uh, he was a very, very good writer, very, very good writer, uh, very well informed, really well handled. Uh, unfortunately, his own life wasn't that well handled, but uh, you know, he's, he's the one that really became more of a writer that we have today that criticizes everything. Well, I'll, I'll go back further than that. I'll go to Dick Young. He was the head of the Chipmunk Writers, yeah. and that's the group, the breed you're talking about. And here in Philly, Stan Hockman preceded Bill Conlon. Now, I had right. my run-ins with both those guys. When I wrote my first book on Dick Allen, I did everything I could, everything I could, short of just walking into their offices to get an interview from both of those guys. Right. Well, Hockman never wanted to write the book. Call. He probably, he probably didn't want to talk to you. He wanted to write the book. He's been years trying to get Dick to write a book with him. Yeah, I, I, I did not know that, but I do know that he was uh, pretty close with uh, Mitch, uh, Mitchell Nathanson, who did write a book on Alan, but Dick wouldn't talk with him. But at any rate, uh, I, I tried every which way uh, to talk to both of those guys, and they blew me off. So all I had was to, to resort to were their columns from the 1960s. And I, I quoted them, and I showed how they okay. baited Dick Allen. And the, the, the funniest thing was after the book came out, Stan got a copy. The only lousy review that book got was from him. And then he started following me around on the speaking circuit and tried to embarrass me. And after one of these incidents, I finally went up to him. I said, Stan, what are you doing? And he said, you really hurt me by what you wrote in here. I said, Stan... I had tried to, to contact with you. I tried to interview you. It would be remiss of me, you know, to, to, to not make that effort. You never returned any of my calls. So all I had were your, your, your articles and your columns. What do you expect me to write? Uh, and, you know, Stan yeah. Hockman, by everybody's measure, was a great guy. And I'm sure he was. But this is the garbage that the chipmunk writers did. They were intrusive. In people's lives, and especially here in Philadelphia, and we see it right now with the Eagles, 
when you're not winning, then these guys, they drum up controversy. Now the controversy yeah. is, you know, Carson Wentz, his time is over. You know, bring on the right. Jalen Hurts air. Well, you know, that stuff is not new. But, but the chipmunks started that garbage. And, and, yeah. and Hockman and Colin were at the forefront of that. Well, Bill, we're, so, we got to move on to the next se- section is, uh, yep. uh, of the show. But I did want to uh, just say one thing. Uh, you know, I, I congratulate you on everything you've done over the years to, uh, uh, to support uh, Dick Allen. Uh, and, and I just, uh, Brooke Over had a great column, a great tribute the other day uh, in uh, the Inquirer yeah. Daily News, uh, Philly.com. And I encourage people to uh, really uh, look at that, read that column, because it, it's a real tribute. And we'll be in touch, yes. Bill. And, uh, you know, congratulations. I know it's a sad time uh, for you and, and uh, the family and, and all of us that were fans of uh, Dick Allen. Uh, but we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Bill. Okay, a pleasure having you with us again. Okay. Yeah, uh, we're going to uh, switch uh, gears now and have a good friend of ours to the show, uh, D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we were talking about Dick Allen, Daryl, but uh, a, a friend of all of ours also passed away, uh, a, a co-journalist like you, John Smallwood, passed away this week at 55. And, boy, was that a sad story, too. But how are you? Hey, Roger, I'm doing great, doing great. Yeah, I was uh, good friends with John. I covered the Sydney Olympics with him in 2000. Also, I went to Howard uh, with uh, Dick's daughter, Terry Allen. She uh, uh, was a very fine uh, young lady at the um, the time. And uh, uh, so, yeah, Dick, we had followed his career, um, uh, you know, as a little kid. And, uh, you know, I didn't have to cover him. But, yeah, I'm fascinated by all the stories we're hearing. Uh, and John uh, had a daughter, went to Maryland, and, uh, you know, he had been sick, um, you know, with a blood disorder for, for a while, I understand. And, uh, yeah, me and my old guy, Gary Howard, old uh, Inquirer sports editor, or assistant sports editor up there, and uh, was my editor in Milwaukee. We, we called and reminisced about John earlier this week. Yeah, well, we lost two really, of them, as you say, Roger, John, and of course Rich going, Dick Allen going at the same time, and uh, so it was a sort of a sad week in Philadelphia from a sports and a sports writer situation. Sure was, and you know, uh, Daryl, you know, uh, I'm back in in the Atlanta area, so I'll get to see you. So that's good, <laughs> and uh, but I got to tell you, it's really probably been a uh, with everything that's uh, been going on, and I mean the Falcons year, the Eagles year. I mean, you know, not what everybody expected. But um, how how is uh, is the team holding up? Uh, I mean, you know, they they uh, improved with uh, Raheem Morris, but now, you know, they've had some problems again. What do you think? Yeah, the um, the offense has been. Uh time since Raheem took over. They started off pretty good. They were scoring 40 points and, uh, you know, moving the ball on everybody, but then the defense couldn't stop anybody. Now the defense is stopping people and the offense is uh, stalling <laughs> in the red zone. One of four in the right. red zone last week, making a bunch of field goals. Yeah, so they just can't get it going at the same time. 
How's your baseball club there? How are they, how are they uh, making it they're through good. the hot stove league? <laughs> yeah, they're doing good. They uh, picked up some pitches. Uh, we'll have some, you know, that was the problem in the playoffs last year. They got the lead and couldn't close it out in part because right. of the start pitching. So um, they've been uh, making all the right moves here to, to get that pitching fortified. I uh, need to get Ozuna re-signed. Uh, so they're making all the right moves right now, though. Well, they've really been more active than almost anybody. Uh, you know, they're in the paper almost every day talking to somebody or making decisions about what they're going to do, and uh, it seems like uh, they're going to make themselves into a real force again. Yeah, they, uh, you know, they're on time. They've, uh, you know, developed some, some players. Uh, the pitchers that they were trying to get through the farm system haven't worked out, so they had to go out and uh, uh, re-fortify that. You can never have too many backs. We found that out here in October. Uh, so, well, not necessarily October. It would have been October, but uh, uh, my schedule yeah, right. the old day. That's the old days. <laughs> but in the playoffs, in the bubble down in Texas, so we found that out. So, uh, but yeah, everybody's excited about the Braves because you know, um, you know, everybody else is uh, uh, down right now. The Hawks might be uh, putting it together. Uh, trying to make a run at the playoffs. They got some fine young players, uh, but nothing on a championship-level team like the Braves right now. And then the Falcons have, um, you know, still trying to recover from their flop in the Super Bowl and their flop the next year on the one-yard line in Philly that led to the Eagles Super Bowl. So uh, after right. that, the Falcons were 7-9, and 7-9, and, and now 4-8. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was thinking, Daryl, the other day about, uh, you know, Mike Smith, when you think about that run he had from what was 08, right, that mm-hmm. there was a lot of lot of successful teams there. And that was the arrival of Matt Ryan and and Sam Baker. You know, they were both in that first round. Of course, Sam, unfortunately, got injured and he, he never was the same. But what do you think? Uh, I know there's a lot of speculation about Matt's future. How, how much longer do you think he'll he'll play, or do you have any idea? Yeah, he wants to keep playing into his 40s. He sees Brady and uh, Breeze doing that. Uh, Philip <laughs> yeah. Rivers had to had to go, uh, uh, but you know he's got three more years on his contract, where whereas they pretty much can't really cut him because uh, it'll be a 40 million dollar. 30% of your salary cap type of hit. So they committed to Matt a while ago, uh, two years for sure, and, and then maybe the third year, um, you know, and then, uh, uh, you know, maybe they get a uh, draft younger quarterback to come in and learn from him for that last year. But uh, they're kind of tied to Matt Ryan, and uh, they know when they block for Matt Ryan, they're good. Now, uh, they can go to playoffs, but they have been uh, – been able to fix that offensive line uh, after that Super Bowl year. So, you know, same thing in Philly. I mean, Carson Wentz, you know, whatever problems he's got, they start up front, you know, not having time That's to right. throw the ball. So, you know. That's exactly uh, right. That's, uh, well, that's, where, that's where they're at here. Interesting when you talk about the Falcons because this year they threw away two games that they had won. You talked about it all started with the Super Bowl, then the Eagle game. And now this year, again, in the beginning of the season, and I said this to some of the guests we had on uh, right after the, after those – well, I said it after the first loss, not the second one. 
But, I mean, there were two games there that they had won. I mean, they, they should have two more wins and two less losses right now. Yeah, and, and three, if you count the one where they didn't fall, they tried to fall down before they went to the end zone. <laughs> and they put the, that defense back out there and Detroit get right down the field. So we're talking about the Cowboy game where they didn't fall on the ball and uh, the Chicago game where Nick Foles comes out of the bullpen and uh looks like Johnny Unitas in the second half. <laughs> threw, threw about four, three, three touchdown drives to bring them back from a 21 21- a point deficit. So, yeah, there was some coaching going on there, uh, coaching issues. Now, how secure is the coach? How, how secure is he right now? Because this is, what, three years in a row. Uh, is he going to make it through in the next year? No, they got rid of him already, Bob. They uh, fired him after the fifth game, and he got Raheem Morris in there as the interim. And they're uh, interim. playing yeah. a lot better now. They're playing a lot better. Uh, you could tell he was a head coach before. He's good friends with Mike Tomlin. Uh, you know, real frank and direct in his messaging to the players. Uh, you know, not not sugarcoating things, and uh, you know, holding these guys accountable. You know, if, if you going you got if you can't get the job done, if they can't find something for you to do, then they're gonna have to find some other people for your job. Okay, and Carol, I would agree with that, but. Uh... Having met him and having worked with him here in Tampa, uh, Raheem is a great guy. He's but as soon as the book's out on him, he's done. Um, he folds under pressure. Um, you know, I, I wish you guys a lot of luck because he he really had a, a tough time when he uh, came here to, to in, and coached in, in Tampa. Yeah, Brian, I was around uh, covering uh, those games, too. and uh, But I, I understand that, and I've talked to him about it. You know, getting that head job at age 32, he wasn't ready for it. And, uh, you know, he, he he did the best he could in that situation. Uh, you know, at 44, he looks to be in full control on that sideline right now. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the one slip up against Detroit. Uh, you know, he's got a real clear vision on what he wants them to do and what he's communicating to us. Uh, and, you know, he's a charming guy, so he's going to talk a good, great game. Uh, so, but, you know, that's got to win. you got to win some football games with it. I'm thinking he's matured from the Tampa days and learned a lot more football, uh, coaching with the Shanahan's, moving over to the offensive side of the ball here, working with uh, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, and Matt Lafleur, uh, so so I'm thinking, you know, he's going to be somebody's head coaching candidate, even if it's not here in Atlanta. Roger. Well, you look at Bella, look at Belichick with the Browns. Okay, he was a failure, right? And and then uh, you know now he's going to be the greatest coach ever, if if not, you know, definitely one two something like that. So that happens. You're right. They mature. We all mature. Sometimes a lot older than. And him. Roger, I'm 77. I still ahead, don't want to be when I grow up. I said, I'm 77. <laughs> I still don't know what the hell I want to be when I grow up. I know. Well, look at Don. Don, Don. What does Don want to be when he grows up? We all I want to be you. I want to be you because you got Big all man. the money. I want to be somebody like no, you. No, 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 not me. Hey, Daryl, you know, <laughs> we were talking about Andy Reid, and I know you're you're really close with him uh, because uh, you and I talked about this, that uh, when you were covering uh, the Packers, 
that you guys would be out to dinner, you and Gruden, that whole group, right? Tell some of the stories about uh, Andy and just sitting around with that group of uh, coaches having uh, dinner. It must have been great experience. Yeah, yeah, because all those were young guys there, so they were the uh, second level guys. Uh, uh, you know, Hunger ran the show. It was Homegrown and Wolf running. Uh, you know, everything. Uh, but you know, you had all these young assistant coaches who were, you know, sharp and talented. Uh, Gruden was the wide receiver coach. Andy, uh, you know, uh, coaching the tight ends at the time. And then Steve, Steve Mariucci was the quarterback coach, and I was most close with Sherman Lewis, the OC. Uh, Bob McGinn was our beat writer then, and, you know, he kind of signed me to the offense. So I had all those guys all the time. But, yeah, great stories, great football guys. Uh, uh, You know, they, uh, you know, uh, enjoyed the the smallness of Green Bay at that time, but you knew they were all going some places. And as soon as Ray Rose got to uh, Philly, you know, he grew with them and made them uh, OC right away. So, uh, yeah, those, those were great times, great times. Yeah, they had to be great experiences. Absolutely. Well, look at the people that were Roger. Look at the people who were with him in Philadelphia. You know, when you talk about Gruden being in Philadelphia, but you know, Buddy had a whole list of guys that went on to do uh, bigger, better things. Oh, Ron Rivera is one of them. Right. Yeah. The you know, and there's the you look at uh, the uh, Andy Reid tree, Daryl. I mean, it's amazing how many uh, head coaches are in the league now that uh, came up through Andy. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, Andy, uh, you know, I kind of count all of them in the uh, Holmgren, Walsh, Green Bay, San Francisco tree, you know. um, Yeah. And you can go around the league and, you know, Gruden, of course, uh, Matt Nagy. In Chicago, that's not working out too good right now, but uh, uh, they're certainly a part of that. And then you can spread out, uh, you know, spread out to the uh, West Coast and, and maybe even count, uh, you know, some of the guys out there that are, uh, you know, part of this. You know, uh, uh, the Seattle uh, group is really uh, a Green Bay group with John Snyder in the front office uh, with Pete Carroll. Uh, so you know, it's all they spread it out all over. Andy's guys are, are getting jobs, and we'll see if uh, Eric Bieniemy gets a shot at a job this during this coach uh, hiring cycle. Well, well another one you can mention is Fisher. Fisher got the job. Fisher was down in what Tennessee, I mean, and uh, so you know, it, it was a whole staff of people that uh, you know either were defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, or whatever that went on to to. Uh, Bigger and better things. Not that they were all that successful, but uh, they did it. Yeah, and Coach Fisher did a great job. Uh, I know a lot of people give him grief about oh nine seven, but uh, he got to that Super Bowl. Uh, you know, and come, comes up. You know, uh, comes up. Uh, uh, you know, that was the Super Bowl that was here in Atlanta, and uh, you know the Nashville. Uh, what was it called? The Music Music City Miracle Team. So right. Uh, came up just a little bit short there, but he got them there, and he got the foundation for the Rams going. People won't give him credit for that, but he did, and McVay got in there and was able to, to build on that. You know, he did the hard part, moving up from uh, St. Louis back to L.A. Uh, but, yeah, Jeff Fisher was one of the 
you know, he was one of the good, co- very good coaches of his time. Yeah, and he very seldom is mentioned. I mean, you know, he, did, he wasn't a real colorful guy that ran around a lot, but uh, he, he knew football and he knew what he was doing. Yeah, everybody well, probably, likes huh? Go ahead. Go ahead, Daryl. Oh, yeah, everybody likes him. I know when I was doing a story on that uh, Super Bowl for for the most recent Atlanta Super Bowl, uh, you know, I called him and left a message, uh, and he, uh, he called right back. <laughs> you know, most uh, some of these coaches nowadays run from the media, but, uh, you know, we did the introductions and all that, told him what I was doing, and uh, – uh, he was over in Nashville and having a good time. He was trying to work with one of those startup leagues at the time, so he was trying to work his way back into the league that way. Roger? Well, you know, if the Eagles had it to do over again, uh, he would have probably have been uh, Buddy Ryan's replacement instead of Rich Kotite. And, uh, you know, Don, Frank, Tommy, uh, I'm sure you agree with me on that. Uh, you oh, yeah, know, absolutely. Was between, uh, Jeff Jeff Fisher and Rich Kotite, and they went offense instead of defense. But just think, well, if they, got, they, did two, they did say two people made mistakes there, Roger. The Jets and the Eagles. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. That's yep. exactly right. <laughs> two of them went. Two of them went right down the drain with Kotite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, absolutely. Yeah, you remember him, Daryl? Oh yeah, Richie no doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> with, with the glasses and so forth. Yeah, Rich didn't, uh, he didn't get it done in either place. No. I'll tell you, though, I will say this. He was one of the nicest guys I ever worked with in all my years. Uh, when he was with the Eagles or with the Jets or whatever, uh, he, he, you, like you were just saying, you could call him up and he'd call you back. Uh, uh, you could ask him for time for interviews and things of that nature. He uh, he never gave you a short sheet, so uh, he didn't. He wasn't successful as a head coach, but he was very successful as a person. Well, that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Well, listen, Daryl, it's always great to talk to you, and you know we all appreciate. And uh, I can't wait uh, getting to see you. Uh, you know, since I'm back in uh, the area, believe me. It's uh, looking forward to it. Likewise, Roger, looking forward to seeing you also, and always a pleasure coming on the show and chopping it up with the fellas here. You all take care and have a great evening. You Thank too. you very much, Thank sir. You, you're, you're the best. Alrighty, take, take care. All righty. Take care. Well, you well, know, I'm there from Frank that Mike is ready to go. Is, is Mike ready to go? No, Mike hasn't called in yet. Oh, okay. Mike's not there. Well, okay. Well, they, we ha- we have to wait wait on uh, Mr. Simzak, you know. But uh, yes. Uh, matter of fact, I just sent him a uh, a a, uh, a union cap today that a friend of mine gave me from uh, Channel 17 as I was oh, nice. cleaning things out. And well, you're going to love this, Don, and Frank and Tommy. The uh, I found a book on soccer from the New York Generals. Oh, and man. this has to be wow. this has oh, there to he is. Be from the sixties. <laughs> there he is. He, it has, is Mike there? We're, uh, well, I don't know if Mike's there or his wife's there. I'm sure she still uh, hasn't come back to <laughs> Earth after the other game, other night's game. But, well, uh, yeah, you, I wanted, well, that's, a, yeah, that's exactly right, Frank. I wanted uh, both he and Doug, the next two guests coming up on the show, because. <laughs> 
Uh, Baltimore is a big story right now to the game the other night. And, of course, what Washington did uh, and what they've done to be uh, in first place in the first place side with the Giants after both teams started out a disaster of a year. Uh, I really want to talk about Mike about that as well. Uh, so both of our next two guests, if Mike gets here, uh, are right here. in the midst of some pretty big stories. Uh, 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 I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay, he Mike arrived. Here. Mike, I, I just I just put a little uh, uh, envelope I mentioned to you. I mailed it today. Uh, I was given a Philadelphia Union cap by a friend of mine at Channel 17 and also a book on soccer from the New York Generals, which was probably before you were born. <laughs> way before. Way before. I was now, yeah. Well, Listen, I'm looking at a program I found at Temple Stadium, September 17, 1966. The Philadelphia Bulldogs versus the Norfolk Neptunes. And, guys, you're going to love the ad. Then we'll get to soccer. The Bazaar of All Nations. Frank, (laughs) you remember the Bazaar of All Nations? Oh, yeah. On Baltimore (laughs) Pike. Yeah, exactly. It was was bizarre, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, let's 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 get out of let's get out of '61 and get up to 2000 because uh, Mike, you and many others, and and I guess all of us really to a point that how bad are the Washington? How bad are the as a National Football League team? I, I keep saying that. Well, I'm almost going to say Redskins every time, but uh, well, the we, National. We, we can still get around calling them the Redskins. I I still slip <laughs> up and do it. Really. We're gonna follow their. I'm we're gonna follow their lead. We'll call them by what they want to be called by the Washington Football Team. And but I, I mean, uh, yeah. you got to be pretty impressed being there with what uh, has been done. In, you know, in, in uh, two thirds of the season this year, the amount of growth that I have seen in this team from week one, when the Eagles really should have beaten them but didn't because that was on the Eagles to what I saw in week 12 when they actually went out and beat the Steelers, how that team has changed, how it has grown. You know, the offense, it's not Dwayne Haskins anymore. It's Al Smith, but the defense is where they won that game. Uh, Ron Rivera came in as a defensive coach, and he has really actually gotten that into a top defense in the NFL, and they played like it this week. Well, you also talked about the fact that we we all did about Smith. I mean, he came in there uh, make a miraculous recovery from injury. He threw for over 300 yards, what, the first two or three games that he was on the field. And uh, so not only did Ron do a good job of realizing the the defense, but they they moved the ball. I mean, they could move up and down the field now. There are a lot of people right now who are like, bench Alex Smith, he's not the future. And he's not. He's a 37-year-old quarterback coming off of a massive leg injury that could have seen his leg be amputated. He's not the future. And I want to disagree with what I heard on Washington Sports Talk Radio. 
I actually saw a lot more aggressive Alex Smith than I have seen in a long time. Now, if you want to compare Alex Smith to uh, um, another quarterback, if you want to compare him to, to, to Aaron Rodgers, he's never going to be as aggressive as, as Aaron Rodgers. But I saw him looking in the spaces, throwing the ball, getting the ball out, and actually being way more aggressive with his passing than I think I've ever seen Alex Smith do. And right. that came in the that 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 really showed in the third and fourth quarter against the Steelers when he needed complete passes. And he doesn't have an elite receiving core around him, but he was able to get completions to, to, to Cam Sims, um, to, to, to Logan, to, to, to all of the receivers that he had on the field. He was able to make passes. He was able to make down the field. And he was able to make vertical plays in a, in a way that we don't normally see Alex Smith do it with what for him was reckless abandon was what for Alex Smith is aggression. But the other thing is like, is that they were so concerned when he took that minor injury, you know, they didn't know uh, they did exactly what you're saying. They talked about his, the seriousness of his leg injury and how he'd come back. And they weren't too sure when he went to the bench that he was going to come back into the game. But uh, actually, uh, it had no effect at all. And you have to understand, so you're talking about the, the, the uh, cleating injury on, yeah. his, uh, on his leg where he got cleated. But they didn't, they didn't know actually, it was a cleating injury at the time, though. They thought it was a, a, a leg injury. They thought it was a leg injury, but what they did know was it was the opposite leg of the one that had been right. injured. Correct. And so he said it, he he said later, man, that one bled a lot. I wasn't expecting it. If you watch him and his body language, he was not a bit concerned about it. Right. And yeah, well, they wrapped him up like he was a mummy. He's gone through <laughs> what he's gone through. But I, I got to believe that had an effect on the team. Like he is gushing blood. And he's. I'm not. I'm not a bit concerned. I'm. I'm gonna keep playing. That doesn't bother me a bit. And it had to give the team confidence in a way. Anything that Ron Rivera said at halftime is mute. Team looks around and says, um, "This guy who had a serious leg injury is bleeding." out of his leg and he's acting like nothing happened. And I think that alone gave them a lot of confidence to go out in the second half and say, if he's willing to do that, then we're going to play with the reckless abandon that we need to, to beat this team in front of us. Right. Roger. Hey, I agree with that, Mike. And the, um, I wanted to ask you uh, if, what's going on uh, with the fandom. 
Now, uh, Dan Snyder has let Ron Rivera, Rivera go, right, and, and run it his way, which was the smart thing to do. Have, has, have things really changed? Can you sense it? I, I, there's a little bit of trepidation. This is a fandom that has been blessed with false dawns for 25 years now. Right. And so there, we want to be hopeful. We want to believe this is that what we're seeing. Um, they said it best on the radio. Um, you know, here's a team that we thought was going to be a losing team that is suddenly competing for a NFC East championship and a playoff berth. Are they building for the future? Not necessarily. But can we just enjoy the ride? Well, if they want to get well, that new be- stadium, they, want, they better have a winning team because you're never getting a new stadium unless they have a not only competitive team but a very competitive team to get people to, to go along and well, make a new stadium uh, uh, down there. Don, you just brought up a whole entire different point. Um, getting a new stadium down here is going to be a completely different bird. They're going to have to really have shown something different for a long time for right. the people of D.C., Maryland to to vote for the bonds, vote for the taxes that Dan Snyder is going to demand for him to build a new stadium down here. And I've said this any number of times on the show, Dan Snyder wants to build a new stadium, but he wants to spend as little amount of his money as humanly possible. The NFL is going to come in with a certain amount of money to rebuild the state, to, to build a new stadium. I think last time I checked, the NFL checks in with like $300 million, $400 million, right? He's looking at a two billion dollar stadium where is that money coming from because he does not want it to come out of his pocket where's that money coming from he's got to put something up before voters for a bond for something and right now there is no way even with this season that it would pass I think that I think all the stadiums now, Mike. To be honest with you, and I get Rogers' comment as well. But I, I just think the days of cities, counties, towns filling stadiums are over. I mean, what happened out in California with the Rams and the Chargers? Uh, you know, they put all the money in to build the stadium, and they split it. Uh, the Giants and uh, the Jets built uh, Met Stadium, but they uh, they split it, and also there was a lot of money put in by both clubs as well as the National Football League. I I don't think you're going to find, uh, you know, where you're going to pass bond issues and you're going to tax people. I I don't think you're going to find that anymore. I don't think people are going to pay the National Football League for their product. No, nor should you. You're right. talking right. about a. They want a. Eighty hundred thousand dollars, a hundred persons, eighty hundred thousand person seat arena, that is going to be used at most 
20 times during the year. It's the eight football games that they play at home, plus right. two preseason games, plus maybe you can get 10 other events in there. Well, there won't be any more preseason games, games, I don't think. Well, if you don't go for preseason games, then you're looking at even less. But you can right. maybe squeeze 10 concerts between concerts, um, major soccer games, stuff like that in there. It's right. going to be an, it's gonna be an open air stadium, right, Mike? It was, They're talking it about an open air stadium. Dome on it. But even if they put a dome on it, Roger, how many times a year is that going to get used? Well, I know I know that in Glendale uh, at the Cardinals Stadium when that was built, because a friend of mine was with the Eagles and he's a VP of the Cardinals now, and when and they uh, when they were opening it up, and they had 300 events scheduled in that facility, and of course now yeah, but that, do- that was doubles as a convention center because they can pull the field out and they have a concrete base. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they were going to have the Stones concert, the Rolling Stones concert the next night. But that's my point, that you'd have to have a stadium. Like, well, how, how many uh, events a year does AT&T Stadium have down in, uh, in, in Arlington? They've got to have uh, several hundred events in that place. Cause they have I would think so. Games. Yeah, they've got high school state championship games, just like in uh, Atlanta. There were a lot of act- a lot of different events at the world at the uh, old uh, Georgia Dome, and now they still have a lot of them. And of course, you've got the soccer games there, which you're familiar with, you know. And uh, but look at what the they, difference they, in climates and the areas that you're talking about. But I, I don't think, fellas, that they can build a stadium today without having a, a dome. I don't, I don't think you can do I don't that. I, I, in this present yeah, time, you can't a, have a tractable roof, which is what they would want. You're talking about two, three billion dollars, easy. And where they're in, DC already has a convention center. You know, Glendale could use um, uh, uh, University of Phoenix, whatever they're now calling that, as a convention center. Um. Jerry World's going to be Jerry World. It's going to host umpteen college games, umpteen high school games, the state championships. That's not going to happen at whatever Redskins are going to build. That's not going to happen. That's, that's just not what this area is. They're not going to get that revenue. They're not going to be able to, 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 to get that. So you're looking at a stadium that they're going to pay $2 billion for, and he's going to put something up, and he doesn't want to pay for it. And we all can agree, like, you had the money. Build your own damn doggone stadium. That's what well, you want going to be an interest. You're going to be very yeah, interested to see what happens. But that's, as you said, that's a long range down the way they're going right now. They can't even get a come up with a nickname for this team. So I'm thinking they're going to build a stadium. I, I, I want think... them to, to, to rearrange the letters so it's the Washington <laughs> team of football so that when they put it up on the screen, it just says WTF. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, any speculation on what the, the name will be, Mike? 
<laughs> I have nothing at this point in time, and neither does anyone else in this area. We don't know what that team is. They may still play as the Washington football team next year. I think it's being <laughs> flushed, it sounds like. <laughs> it actually works for them because the jerseys they're selling with the burgundy and gold that say Washington, it's a bit of city pride. People are liking it. And as much as the Washington football team stinks as a nickname, there's really no incentive right now for Dan Snyder to change it. He's That's selling merchandise. He's doing he's doing everything he wants to. Why change it? Well, you know, Mike. It's, up there, it's the National almost, National Football League is fighting right now to get some, uh, you know, really legitimate television exposure. Now they changed uh, only because the Giants have gotten hot. They've changed this Sunday's game to a, a night game. Giants are now going to be the Sunday night game. They want New York. They want Chicago. They want L.A. You know, that, that they want big-time well, uh, areas is to bring in these night games, whether it's Monday night game, Sunday night game, whatever it is. And if you're going to get it in Washington, where, where it should be, they're going to have to have the, the, you know, the facilities of the team to do it. All right. So we, you've all spoken to my wife. We all love my wife. Um, she went out on Monday to watch that game. And that's what it is right now. Like, Washington's got a winner. They're invested. They're going out. They're watching the games. And TV ratings around here are going to be bananas over the next however many weeks are remaining of the season. Because for the first time in a dog's age, they're competitive. And they didn't think that was what was going to happen. Right. There was no reason to think that. So everybody down here, they understand, like, we're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. But the thing that has changed is there is optimism, there is hope. And you really haven't seen that in D.C. in a long time when it comes to the, to, to, to the football team. Well, they got a real shot this week. Years. I mean, they're playing, they're playing the 49ers who – have either played real well or have, have played, played badly. So they've, they've got a shot to keep the momentum going if they can knock off the 49ers. I would say that this win over the Steelers is as big a win as the Skins, as the, Skins, the, the Washington football team, whatever you want to call them, has had an idea don't know how long, and I'm an Eagles fan, y'all know that, it pained me to see this team actually win a legitimate game that the Eagles couldn't. We couldn't beat the Steelers, but they could. I'm hurt, but give them full credit, they went out, they did what they needed to do, and I'm actually dreading the next couple of weeks of my life. <laughs> Roger? Yeah, I know why. Because the, uh, the the Redskins have to play the Eagles in Philadelphia, right? Yes, they do. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. 
The uh, what's what's I going on? I may be divorced after world? I talk to you on that one. Yeah, right. What's what's the latest on uh, the uh, the world of soccer, Mike? Um. So for the union, it didn't go how I was looking for it to go. They lost right. their first playoff game. Uh, Brendan Aronson, uh, the young kid from Medford, is going to go over to RB Leipzig. He's going to join the uh, Red Bulls sports empire over in Europe. And I knew this question was going to come up, and I, I was reflecting on it. And I'm actually like, that is good. That Brendan Aronson could do what he did for the union. He doesn't have the ability like a Christian Pulisic to get an international passport and go over you early. He played his time at the union. He got a transfer over there, uh, 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 and he's going to play hopefully in the Champions League in the best, the biggest competition in Europe next year, and they're looking forward to him coming. That is actually the story that we need. That is what young kids need to do. Well, Mike, we got, the, you, we got Doug Hamilton standing in the wings ready to go to our next segment. So next I'm week not we'll gonna, I'm not going to interfere with Doug because Doug's coming <laughs> on to talk golf, and I don't know anything about that. <laughs> well, I, before hey, listen, we're going to do the same. great week. We're going to do the same thing with Doug that we going to do the same thing with Doug that we did with you, Mike. And that is before we talk golf, talk about the the Baltimore Ravens because Doug, quite honestly, I I think Harbaugh's got a very very tough sheet. I mean, every time he turns around, he's playing on a different night, short rest. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I think it was wonderful that he won the other night, but at the same time, I mean, he is really up against the wall. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, I believe it's a calling card of uh, the Baltimore Ravens uh, ever since, you know, they were created. You know, it seems, uh, you know, it's certainly not pretty um, at times. You know, it, I think it's um, a testament to, um, you know, the area, the city, the whatever, you know, a lot of lunch tailors, blue collars. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, by and large, most of the media has always, uh, frowned upon the Baltimore Ravens in terms of of picking against them or or somehow uh, the hands that are dealt um, against you know for whatever reason whether it's as you mentioned you know a scheduling conflict or, or injuries or COVID or um, you know all the things that are associated with the opportunity to win um, somehow or another you know um, I mean you know Harbaugh in, embodies um, I think a really tough and gritty head coach in terms of what he possesses and, and uh, passes along to his football teams. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you can look back through the annals of, of the Baltimore Ravens since creation, and they've always been a hard-nosed, physical, tough, you know, defense. Um, kind of usually done the little things with special teams, but offensively they've never really been a juggernaut. Um, last year was, was one of the first years. Um, I mean, having a, a quarterback like Lamar Jackson certainly changed the landscape of of what it is uh, they were capable of doing as a football team. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, as, it's as awesome for me to watch, um, you know, with that kind of talent on the offensive side of the football. But, 
it's also frustrating, you know, because last night was the first night um, that Lamar kind of was, was kind of himself, I think, in terms of, of running the football more and scrambling. Um, he made a lot of really poor throws. Um, yes, he did. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, I mean, like, um, gosh, I was trying to think. Um, they had 24 points. They kicked a field goal to make it 27. And he scrambled out of a, a potential sack on the right side of the field and, and kind of wiggled out of it. And he threw a, you know, a, a ground ball to, to Miles uh, Blinken, who was in the back of the end zone. I mean, you know, you look at guys like Aaron Rodgers and, and some of your better and more elite quarterbacks that make that throw, you know, with their eyes closed. So it, it's, it's hard to watch um, how inaccurate he can be. And I don't think it's, it's an arm strength problem so much as it is just, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's, it, it's, it's hard to watch and, and hard to diagnose in terms of, it's certainly not a, um, standard mechanical delivery. Like I've always, I was always a big fan of, of Joe Flacco's delivery in terms of, of how he threw the football. Um, you know, I, I had said last year that, that uh, my belief was that Justin Herbert was the best quarterback coming out of the draft because of his mechanics and the way he threw the ball and his intangibles, you know, being a bigger guy, um, you know, looking at, at this year's draft. Um, I know that people are really high on, on Trevor Lawrence. And I think he has really good arm talent. I watched the uh, quarterback from BYU play the other day, and I, I really like that guy. I forget what the heck his name is, but um, he, he delivers the football as if you would see somebody, and, and if you watch him through, you'd be like, wow, that's a, that's a really pretty throwing motion, and then all of a sudden the ball spins out of there with good velocity, and you just don't see that from Lamar. He throws a lot of uh, weird passes. I say the same thing about Jared Goff uh, from the Rams, who's established himself as a good quarterback. He throws a lot of, of balls that that the, the, the nose of the football is kind of pointed down when it gets to the receiver and it's just not a pretty pass. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I mean, it's, they beat the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they ran the football very well. You know, I still have man, a lot of oh question marks about You could have, you could have run that first touchdown. They had, they, you could have gone through the Holland tunnel when he run. <laughs> Gosh. Well, that one, and Holy. The pass he threw to, the touchdown he threw to Blinken, uh, that, that was a blown coverage. Nobody was there. Gus Edwards looked really good carrying the football. Uh, Dobbins looked really good. Uh, they had uh, really big holes to run through. And um, Oh, boy, did they ever. You know, it was nice to see them uh, physically play a different style of, of offensive football there. But I still have my question marks. I mean, you know, truth be told, I, as a Ravens fan, I, I, I will say that I'm biased. But has it, if it's not for the NFC East, I don't believe they make the playoffs, you know, because they've beaten uh, the Washington team, they've beaten the Eagles, and now they've beaten the Cowboys, and that's those were three pretty easy wins. Um, they still have the Giants left. Um, you know, I guess we can uh, remark, at least in my opinion, that we know the second game they played against Pittsburgh was against all odds, and they still looked okay. The first game, uh, they, they likely should have won that game. But, you know, when I look at their schedule and I, and I see teams like um, – Kansas City, they had they they didn't belong on the same field as Kansas City. They they got they got destroyed. Uh, they couldn't stop um, anything that they did. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see what they do against. Uh, I mean, they they got out physical by Tennessee. Um, I think they have a very similar style of football game this week against Cleveland. Um, Nick Chubb is a very physical running back and. Uh, the the Browns are a very gritty football team, and I think Baker Mayfield is obviously the question mark with um, his ability to not turn the ball over. If they can get him 
in situations where he throws some questionable passes. I think their defense can be opportunistic, but um, they're back to this kind of um, bend but don't break style of defense. And it was very obvious last night that they couldn't get to the quarterback. They couldn't put any pressure on him. Um, they gave up an awful lot of yards. Um, it was good enough to win, but, but against a better football team, it's not going to be good enough to win. Uh, so, I mean, we couldn't we agree with you more. I think you hit it. I think you hit it right on the head. Roger? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I agree with you guys. And uh, I just think that uh, – I'll tell you, Doug, I don't think that there's really – even though they lost the game, I don't think that mm-hmm. there's a team in the league that can match Kansas City. I, think I, would, they're, I would agree uh, with that. Yeah. They're on, they're, I mean, the coaching staff from, mm-hmm. uh, all the way from the top to bottom. And, uh, I mean, when you, you look at the quarterback and then you look at the uh, receivers, the speed, uh, mm-hmm. and everything, I mean, it's, it's the total package. And, you yeah. know, you, you go back to, to the days of the uh, greatest uh, uh, team on uh, turf, you know, at the Rams when Dick mm-hmm. Vermeil was there and then Mike Martz. But th- sure. th- that was different. It was, it was a, a, a totally different uh, type mm-hmm. of, of, of structure of a team. This, sure. this Kansas City team is just unbelievable. Well, they've they got the a great premium. differential front four. They've got a great offensive line to go along with it. All the skill players that everything. you indicated, Roger. Yeah. They, they've got the whole package. Yeah, well, the, the, they've got everything. The premium, you know, Kansas City obviously is, is an offensive-minded football team that um, can run the football and, and uh, you know, eliminate some of the clock, or they can just – you know, throw a seventy-five yard bomb to Tyreek Hill and score in a blink of an eye. Um, and I think their ideal is to is to, you know, obviously their their defense would be, in my opinion, the weaker side of the football. Um, but likely they're going to score more points than, you know, what I mean than the not. Um, so right. you know, Kansas Kansas City can win, you know, in a shootout game. Um, but like I said, I I feel like they could still with Le'Veon Bell and and uh, the rookie they drafted at LSU, they can they can run the football and grind some clock and. Um, you know, I think their kicker might be an Achilles heel. That guy Butker um, is a very talented kicker, but has missed, you know, some kicks at the wrong time, including extra points. Um, but I think they're the class of the AFC for sure. Um, I think when you look at the NFC, I think you have some really big question marks, um, you know, in terms of the overall. I mean, obviously the NFC East is is pretty weak, but uh, you look at some of the other football teams that are in the hunt, if you will, and, and um, gosh, um I don't know. Does anyone stand out? I mean, the, the Saints obviously are, are playing good football, and if, if they get Drew Brees back, I think they're back to being themselves. Their defense has looked a lot better. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think the Chiefs are the class. They sure are. I agree with you. And Pittsburgh's got to, regardless of what happened last night, Pittsburgh's got to be tough before it's all over. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, they got a, they've got an outstanding coach. They've got an outstanding yeah. talent. I don't mm-hmm. think they're uh, – I agree with Roger. Uh, I think that uh, Kansas City is in, at this particular moment, uh, probably 10 or 15% better than uh, almost any team in the league. But they could have an mm-hmm. off day, too, uh, as Pittsburgh did yeah. the other night. Sure. It can well, happen. listen, I, I, I still believe um, – you know, we, we've talked about uh, Russell Wilson over the course of time, and I feel like he's um, such a dynamic football player. Um, he's really good at – at what he does for sure. I mean, I think. Yeah, he, but he's struggling right uh, now. He he struggled well, for the last three weeks. 
but but the Seahawks are the kind of team that's that scare me once they get to the playoffs because if they get hot, you know they can they can drop forty points on you quick. Um, you oh, know, I yeah. think they have oh, yeah. physical and imposing running backs. Um, Carson and Hyde, I think, will will bruise you. Um, I think their defense, with the additions of of Dunlop and, and Adams um, at that safety position, who's played extremely well this year, their linebackers are are really good. Um, you know, I think their defense has has been maligned and 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 have shown to be maligned, but I think that they um, have played a lot better recently. Uh, but as you mentioned, I believe, I mean, who who can really cover? I mean, DK Metcalf is just he's huge. He's fast. He's physical. Tyler Lockett is a great underneath receiver. Um, if they had a tight end, they'd be dangerous, um, which I think <laughs> is what Russell Wilson he definitely misses uh, the ability to kind of you know, dump some of those passes or, or throw some of the short and intermediate ones. Um, you know, but the Seahawks scare me as a, as a football team that could get hot quick and, and do something. And they got a great coach. And they've though. done that. Doug. Yeah. They've done that sure. in the past when they get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can remember I when they beat the Falcons at, at the uh, dome about five years yeah. ago. I mean, you know, it was supposed to be the Falcons, uh, you know, winning the game and you know, that Seattle did a number on. Well, you know, listen, I know that, you know, you're um, kind of an Atlanta guy, Roger, and I know that, um, you know, that the, the Falcons have, have struggled. Um, you know, Matt Ryan defense, has been – Their defense. Well, Doug, I think you you know, know, their defensive secondary is really shaky, and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, they get some holes uh, from a defensive standpoint. So I, uh, oh, they do. You know, they've got to score points to win. Sure. Well, listen – we we know that the NFL is a quarterback-driven, offensive-minded league, you know, and I can appreciate the fact that when people hire new head coaches, they, you know, they want to establish that, um, you know, defensive, tough, physical-minded uh, presence uh, in terms of the locker room and, and how they go about drafting their teams and, um, and, and doing the things they do. I mean, we, we've seen, you know, in Detroit, uh, Matt Patricia, um, and we've talked at length about, you know, the Bill Belichick coaching tree that's that's not done well. Um that's defensive failed. minded quarterback. Um totally failed. De- defensive totally minded failed. coach. I, I think you have to hire a head coach that is an offensive minded um coach uh to drive that football team's ability to score points and I just think you have to hire a really good defensive coordinator to, to manage that side of the football. Um I think it's really that simple. Um you know, I mean I, you know, you I know. agree with you, Doug. And, and I was thinking about this the other day. I wonder whether after his track history, if Josh McDaniel will ever get another opportunity mm-hmm. to be a head coach. I don't think. Well, Roger. Okay. I think that's, I think it's an interesting topic that, you know, by and large, I think that there are some people, um, as we've mentioned, and I've talked about this, um, not necessarily on the show, but outside of the show, you know, you, you, you look at, at some of these guys that have gotten their opportunities to be head coaches that just didn't do well, and it's not because they're not good coaches. They're just better coordinators, if that makes sense. Yeah. And sometimes, right. you know, and I see this too. I see this too in my line of work. There are an awful lot of assistants that are good assistants, but they can't be the head professional because of, you know, the coordination of, of all the components that come together. I mean, it's it's difficult I'll to tell say you in the locker room. What you're saying, the coach in, in uh, Buffalo. Look, look what he yeah. has done in two years up in Buffalo. And, right. uh, you know, he, he doesn't have the best of circumstances. 
one way or the other, but he has developed himself one heck of a team. Well, and, I mean, and he's come from love... the Andy Reid tree. Don. Right, right. Right. I mean, for the for the love of God, I mean, how many chances is Adam Gaze going to get to be a head football coach? Oh, yeah, right. Until until right. someone and... says, you're, you're not qualified to be a head football coach, but you're a daggone good offensive coordinator and we'll take you. You know, Jason Garrett was the same way. I mean, he – inherited a, a very good Dallas football team and, you know what I mean, kind of muddled his way through some, some seasons to get to the point where they could have possibly done something but didn't. Um, didn't. You know, I mean, you, you just there's, you know, uh, Charlie Weiss, Romeo Cornell. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have kicked uh, around the league. Cornell is your best example. He's had, had so many chances to, and he's just, well, I mean, that's uh, not, he's not a head coach. You know, um, uh, Wade Phillips uh, was a fabulous defensive coordinator, but that's where he belonged. I mean, if, yeah. if I were a head football coach and I said to myself, I, I want a good defensive coordinator that's that's going to, you know, he's going to blitz people, he's going to be, you know, uh, a physical kind of a, the kind of guy your guys want to play for. I mean, Rex Ryan was another great example. Rex Ryan was a great defensive coordinator in Baltimore. I loved having the guy here because he was smash mouth in terms of, what he was trying to do on the defensive side of the football, but he just wasn't a good head coach. You know? Nope, and he had his chances, well, no question about that. Right. Oh, well, yeah. Well, see, the thing yeah. is, I, I think with McDaniel, is that uh, he he blew it with, when, with Indy. And I think mm-hmm. that they came out ahead, uh, the Colts right. did, when they got Frank. Right. Right. Uh, and uh, you know they they're much better with him than they would have been with uh, the other guy. Oh, hundred percent. I, I don't think My Josh opinion. McDaniel. I think if Josh McDaniel gets a, a, a head foot, uh, football coaching gig, it'll be at, at the college ranks. Um, you know, I think if if you look at uh, what he's done, the final year Tom Brady was there, and, and then this year with Cam Newton, um, I, I can't even say that he's that good of an offensive coordinator. To be honest with you, I'm, uh, I agree. But more than yeah. anything. Um, I think I think when these guys, I mean, he, he he might be a good interviewer. I don't know, but but he's um, from a character standpoint, I, I wouldn't give him, you know, control over my football team as a head coach. I just I think it would set you back, you know, many more years than the possibilities of what it could give you. Um, I'll tell well, you, it's a very was, very it? difficult a very difficult assignment to, you know, go through these interviews and talk to these people. Uh, yeah, because there's so many things that surround being a head coach. It's not just whether you were a good offensive coordinator. There's so many other things once you step in that top seat, and uh, sure. it, it takes a certain kind of person that can make that adjustment to be successful. And and uh, as you said, well, nine times out of ten, it's not going to happen. Right. You know. Yeah. I mean, Don. To your point. I mean, I think. You know, the the first thing you have to be, and I, and I take myself back 16 years ago when I had the opportunity to uh, become a head golf professional. I was I was only ever an assistant, you know, my entire life before that. So, you know, it was it was I was terrified actually to be a head golf professional because all eyes are on you. So the first thing you have to do is come into a situation and be able to recognize, okay, well, what what's working, what's not working, um, you know, kind of what's the culture, what's been going on here. Let's take a assessment of where where we actually are and then you look at the things that are working you say okay well i'm not really going to mess with them right now because they seem to be okay let's look at the things that that probably aren't right but the thing is 
do you have the recognition skills to understand what is even wrong? So when you talk about looking at financial reports or tournaments or member relations or different things that, that could be, you know, not necessarily correct, can you even assess and recognize the fact that they're not even right? And in most cases, as an assistant, you might not have that ability. So I start diving into all these financial things and I start saying, okay, well, these numbers are, are way out of whack. How do I get these things back into whack? And, you know, you go to your, your DM and you say, listen, partner, these, these are the things that are wrong and this is how I'm going to fix them. Well, that guy needs to trust you. So you need to go, if you're interviewing for this job as a head football coach, and you say, look, guys, you know, these are your offensive stats. These are your defensive stats. These are your whatever, whatever. You know, these are the problems. This is how I'm going to fix it. And then that guy says, okay, well, what do you need to do that? What kind of resources do you need? And you say, okay, well, I need – And one, thing you, one you know, thing you don't need is a recycler. I mean, they recycle all these guys. All of them. Well, You're right, Don. Well, you look at, um, you know, Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy had a lot of success in Green Bay. But can he regenerate that from the ground up in – Dallas, is he the right guy for that position? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I didn't interview him. Neither do I. You know, does Gary I, I thought he's, I'd tell I you the truth, uh, Doug, I thought he'd do a much better job the first year. I, I didn't think yeah, he'd have I a team anything on. like this. Uh, well, I, I was a great supporter, but when uh, he was un, unemployed, and we were talking about two or three different clubs, his name in my mind came up almost every single time. Mm-hmm. McCarthy would be one of the guys that I'd what, reach out. And I, I never thought about Dallas, but I did think about it in other places. No. But it just yeah. well, you, know, you know what a lot of people are saying? The problem there is Mike Nolan, okay, because he has a totally different – they kept the offensive coordinator, number mm-hmm. one, okay? Sure. But then Nolan came in, and his uh, uh, theory on defense is totally different than what it was. And they say that sure. their players – have had a tough time adjusting to the uh, scheme. So who knows? Well, I mean, you know, it, yeah, I, mean, I mean, this, this has to be a very, well, I'm more, I'm more surprised Roger at the, at the reaction from the players. There seems to be a lot of, uh, the players seem to be very, very uncomfortable at what's going on. They don't, yeah, they don't they seem do. to be talking about any positive aspects of what McCarthy's doing. They're only talking about questionable things that he's mm-hmm. doing. And that's not good. Well, Don, I, I think that comes from a lack of cohesion. As you know, as Roger mentioned, I mean, you hire a head football coach that's had success, and a guy like Mike McCarthy, who does deserve that chance, I think, of anybody that we talked about. But he comes in and he he doesn't mess with, you know, the coordinators. Okay, well, you know, that's you know, we've talked about this from a club fitting standpoint. Do you adjust to your golf clubs, or do you buy golf clubs that adjust to you? You buy golf clubs that adjust to you. Why should you change? So Mike McCarthy's coming in here to a culture that's already established. He's just a figurehead. What the heck is he going to do to change that culture? You know what I mean? He needs to bring his own guys in and say, this is what we're going to do, and this is the direction we're going, and these are the pieces and, and resources that I need to make this happen. If you want well, to I could agree case, if I'm going downhill, if I have a job and I'm going to get my jobs on the line, I'm going to go downhill thinking what I think is right. I'm not going to go downhill sure. thinking taking somebody else's advice. Couldn't agree more with you. You know what I mean? He's lame duck head coach. You know I mean? I mean, he had it pretty good in, in Green Bay when he had a guy named Aaron Rodgers, and, and he was able to build that from the ground up. You know, he doesn't have that same ability to do that in, in Dallas. So, yeah, but the only thing you can say is, in the end, after he was very successful with Rodgers and very successful with Green Bay, in the end, 
I guess, from what you read and talk and so forth, you know, there was quite a uh, a bridge between he and Rodgers at the end. And the way they were mm-hmm. calling the game, the way they were running the offense. So maybe, you know, maybe that, uh, you know, maybe there was some yeah. truth in all that. I don't disagree with you, but that also goes back to when you're a head football coach, you've got to check your ego at the door. And Mike McCarthy was calling the plays, and then all of a sudden, you know, what's best for the team? Let's keep the team in mind here. Should I have an offensive coordinator that's calling the plays, or do I know best, or does Aaron Rodgers have input, or what's going on here, you know, in, right. in terms of what, what's the direction we need to go? Um, you well, know, he's made some really so, serious, I, I think, serious missed calls. I mean, just, you know, fourth and what was it the other day, fourth mm-hmm. and six or fourth and seven, and, and he decides to go for, for a first down rather than kick a field goal, which would yeah. give a uh, one-touchdown score. I mean, mm-hmm. things like that, I, I, you know, you look at it and say, well, wait a minute. Well, and he said, well, we thought that was the most uh, aggressive play that we could make. Well, that's a nice aggressive mm-hmm. play, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's easy to criticize from the outside. But sure. I'm just disappointed sure. that he hasn't done a better job. I agree. Yeah, I don't, dis- I don't disagree with you. So, Roger? I was just wondering if it's uh... – TikTok time. I, you know, I didn't know. Yeah, it's uh, getting close. Yeah. The, uh, At a time. I, I, yeah, I think that uh, what you guys were saying, you know, the, the, keeping the offensive coordinator so that uh, Prescott would have, you know, sort of confidence, peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, you know, whereas Mike McCarthy in, at Green Bay was calling the plays. And mm-hmm. I think right. that uh, that was probably a learning experience he he went along with it because of uh, Prescott, you know, and, mm-hmm. and who knows? Who knows what next well, year? Hold it, hold it right there because we're out of time. Frank Frank is on the ding, ding, ding clock. Yeah. And Roger, <laughs> thank you very great. much. Tommy, thank you very much. Doug, all our guests tonight. Frank, does yes, a sir. great job. Uh, have a good weekend. We'll let it all get together next week. Sounds great. good. Take care. God bless. Thanks, 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 Thanks Frank. Roger. Great job as always. You're the man. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge them. Let them know you know they're there. These are very tough times for people in uniform. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Banger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerber, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Arnolfo Crispin, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogan, Longo Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Mike Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. <coughs> Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarbot Springs Police Department. <coughs> Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kylop. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artith Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, FDLA Special Inspector Vinnie Galaccio, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Ballard, Patrol, 
Patrol Herman Matt Baxter, Gethsemane Police Department. Patrol Sergeant uh, Sam Howard, Gethsemane Patrol Police Department. Captain Matt Laterno, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Bill Gentry, Highlands County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Clay Zerber, Clay County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Deputy Sheriff. Officer Bob Brumketchen, uh, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10 cent at this time, at this some time we'll be at, at the table, the Lord, at 10 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise out to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields. The sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week.